Welcome to the Anime Research Group. With so much anime produced each season, many interesting shows just slip through the cracks and don't get the fair hearing they deserve. I'm Ian. I'm Danny. I'm Freya. And each week we get together to give one show's chance. Watch the first few episodes and discuss what we thought of it. This week, Star Driver, a 2010 Studio Bones production. And yeah, oh boy, this did not turn, this was my suggestion, and it did not turn out as well as I'd hoped. It ran from October 3rd, 2010 until April 4th, 2011, for a total of 25 episodes. It's made by Studio Bones, a fairly popular studio, I'd say, known for shows such as Mob Psycho, My Hero Academia, Soul Eater, or the original Full Metal Alchemist, which is still pretty damn good, and also has much better openings. And Brotherhood. <laughs> and Brotherhood, yes. But who cares about Brotherhood? Indeed. Star Driver is an original creation, not based on any uh, pre-existing material, although there is a manga adaptation that came uh, later. The show also has a compilation movie that was made two years later, and there is one PSP visual novel, which while we were watching, at several points I felt like the island high school teenage romance setting would make for a decent visual novel. The show is directed by Takuya Igarashi, and on that note, we can go over to Freya, who has a lot to talk about this episode. Uh, yes, so now that I've said that, I will fail to live up to what I've said. Um, <laughs> so, Takuya Igarashi, a name I recognized uh, when I was looking at this, which hasn't happened that many times. I'll go from least interesting to most interesting in terms of what he worked on, but I'll start off with his origins. Uh, he worked on Sailor Moon at Toei, and in particular he worked with uh, our old friend Kunihiku Ikuhara. Ikuni-chan! Um, and was very heavily influenced by him, which uh, Which is a thing. You know, I'm gonna go on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on a tangent here. Go ahead. I consider Ikuhara and Shimbo to be like two sides of the same coin, because they're both very heavily influenced by Osamu Dezaki, they both go on to be very heavily influential in uh, the anime industry stylistically. Ikuhara by collaborating with people and Shimbo by more or less having his own school where he tells people what to do. <laughs> and then after that, Ikuhara fails to get work for years and has trouble getting his projects greenlit because he's an author, I guess. Less so these days, and is very collaborative and likes to bring up the people around him. And then there's Shimbo, who stopped making anime 13 years ago, does random storyboards these days, but plasters his name all over anything, all over everything from Studio Shaft while making lots of money from it. All right, diversion over. Years later, he made uh, he's made quite a few shows that I think are quite popular in the West. So uh, Soul Eater, mm. and this is the one he's probably most famous for, uh, Oran High School Host Club. To be fair, that is a pretty damn good show. It's decent. I, I like it. I endorse Oran High School Host Club for president. I think it's better suited to his uh, skill set than this show was. And I'll, I'll use Oran to highlight some of his like uh, key things. He likes to play around with backgrounds a lot. So there's a lot of different styles of backgrounds. The framing, the characters sometimes like disappear into the backgrounds. The backgrounds like uh, are sometimes made so that they overwhelm them. There was an example of that in episode one. Mm -hmm. uh, and now that I've said all that, you can really tell that he only storyboarded the first episode of this. <laughs> <laughs> and not episodes two and three. Yeah, episodes two and three are very monster of the week. Well, I'm not. I don't mean that. I mean, like you can tell stylistically, the first episode looked so much more interesting, it, uh, especially in terms of the backgrounds. 
Yeah. Uh, his other major thing is having really stupid facial expressions, <laughs> which Oren is well is a very good showcase of that, I guess. Well, mm-hmm. uh, it's it works better in a comedic setting. Yes. Like, I noticed at several points, like in Oran, a recurring thing is the text in the background popping up to highlight. Like, yes. I will always remember the first episode of Oran where there's an arrow pointing towards the way <laughs> yes. drawing attention to it before anything happens to it. And it just pulls this really nice sense of tension. Whereas here, we just occasionally get a, a whole bunch of pink texts thrown. He's a virgin! Yeah, yes. exactly. We just get some random pink text that comments on whatever's currently happening in the show. And it just felt really out of place. I don't know if I agree. He's done the arrow trick quite a few times. Uh, he did it in, well, his more recent shows, uh, Captain Earth, which uh, I see cropping up in people who also talk about Star Driver. So who knows what that's like? It was another show I thought to suggest, but I'm probably not going to now. Well, it depends. And then he's directed all of Bungo Stray Dogs, which I think was popular in the West, yes, but I'm not yes, sure. It was. Yeah, and I know very little about it. And then just to shout out this last thing, because I'm interested in it and it's on my list. Uh, He co-directed Oja Majo Doremi with Junichi Sato, who I'm sure we'll be talking about at some point. I remember seeing Doremi when I was younger. It was like after it was like on between Pokemon and between Pokemon and uh, Dragon Ball Z. Just that here's some anime for the little girls. Here's some Doremi. I thought you I thought you were gonna mention like tomorrow's Nadia, but then I realized that isn't the good one I'm thinking of, which is the yes, secret no, blue water. So moving on. For once, equally interesting is our writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yoji Enokido. So again, I'll go from least interesting to most interesting. Um so I think it's fair to say he uh, collaborates with Igarashi a lot because <laughs> He's also the um, the series composer for all of Bungo Stray Dogs and Captain Earth. Now, Bungo Stray Dogs is adapted, so I don't know how much of his spin he will have put on it, but whatever. He co-wrote Dragon Dentist. Um, he wrote No Dame Cantabile Paris. I don't know what that is. Is it a sequel? Uh, yeah, it's a sequel weather in France. He wrote episodes 2, 7, 8, and 11 of Evangelion, which is funny <laughs> because 7 or 8 are in the period where it's like, trying to be a normal mech show for a bit. Um, <laughs> and episode 11 is maybe one of the funniest episodes of anime I can think of off the top of my head. Um, okay. Uh, he also wrote, did the series composition for Oran, like I said, mm-hmm. with collaboration. Uh, he, he wrote Sailor Moon Supers. Now we get to the more interesting stuff. He wrote Die Buster, the sequel to Gun Buster, which I'm sure we'll be watching at some point. Yes. I've reached, um, like, on my continued watch through of everything uh, Tomiyuki's ever done, I'm sure I'll eventually yes. get to Gun Buster and Die Buster. And he wrote, so he wrote the script for the Fooly Cooly, uh, the old Fooly Cooly. Oh, uh, it's, it's, a, Fooly Cooly is a work of art. Yes. Now, I haven't read the manga, so I don't know. The manga is fine. <laughs> okay, so he improved it. There you go. There's a certain recurring theme of shows about uh, teenage uh, teenage romance, isn't there? And sexuality. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then finally, and most importantly, he is he wrote Utena, which I guess. Goes to show that when he's paired with uh, <laughs> somebody who knows how to make a good show, he's he's better um, 
uh, his work will come out better. I mean, he also apparently wrote the script for Redline, which Redline is yes. an amazing movie, but the script wasn't the strongest part. I mean, it was it was fine. Yeah. I mean, it does what it needs to do, which yes. is give me a reason to watch an hour-long race. Yeah. Uh, Whereas Utena is like... Um, you know how this show is trying to tackle a million different themes? Yeah, yeah. Utena is like that, but good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, applying the theme discount Utena to this show, I don't think... Well, I don't, maybe. I, I think discount Ikuhara is better. Um, yes. So fair other, enough, na- other names I want to talk about. So Shinichiro Watanabe was involved in this. He really? storyboarded and directed the opening. Ah. The opening is one of the better parts of the show. Yes, at least visually, the songs, whatever. Yeah, it's a very early 2010s where, as Ian pointed out when we were watching it, it's just people running. Just gotta keep running to the left. It's more interesting than most of those. Yeah, it's got it's got a very nice sense of color, I have to say. And well, starts I, I was I was going to say it's very Watanabe because of all the uh, it reminded me of all the colors in uh, Bebop's opening, mm-hmm. even though it's completely different otherwise. But yeah, it was nice. So the the music composer for this was uh, Kosaki Satoru, who has worked on a lot of things. So most people will have heard his music somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Ian, lucky star. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky Star is not known for its music, except insofar as the sort of sonic attack that is the opening. Yes. <laughs> and all of the fantastic karaoke at the end, which he is not responsible for. More importantly, Haruhi. Yeah. And I think he is involved in the opening and, and ending of that. Well, sure, because like I, I assume everyone who looked on, worked on Lucky Star worked on Haruhi, because the yes. show is just, please buy Haruhi merchandise. <laughs> Indeed. Other things... Wandering Sun, that's nice. Mm. All of the earlier Monogatari shows and the movies. Yeah. I like the music. It's very minimalist, but I like it. And he's worked on a million openings, which I'm not going to mention because I can't be bothered. Oh, he also did the music for Beastars recently, which is why I can say that uh, in the olden days, he used to be like what a lot of anime composers do, but they do. I don't have a style. I try everything. I experiment (laughs) with everything. Loads of different styles. These days, he mostly does jazz. Which, to be fair, anime can always use more jazz. I can certainly do with more jazz in my anime. Whether you can or not, I don't care. I think anime has plenty of jazz already. Anyway, now let's move on to the show, which is much less interesting than the people working on it. Yeah, sadly, we've done a few episodes of this podcast so far, and... Each episode, like most of the shows, have at least had a lot of interesting things to talk about. I mean, episode one did. Episode, well, yeah, but... <laughs> I would rate this show very differently if episodes two and three did not exist. Yeah. But yes, um, the actual show starts off on um, kind of a, a southern island, and our protagonist, Takuto Tsunashi, washes up on the beach. He's there to attend the school that's uh, located on the island. He meets two other people, uh, two of the other protagonists, Wako Agamaki and uh, Sugata Shindo, who seem to be engaged, although, as we find out later, seem to be engaged. And she is one of the four shrine maidens of this island, which seem to connect them to some kind of supernatural power. Some things did happen in the episode. They have dinner, they go to school, he attends a dorm meeting. 
But mostly it all just leads up to the end climax where all of a sudden Team Rocket comes out of nowhere or an organization like Team Rocket. No, no, no. They're not like Team Rocket. They are not nearly as fun as Team Rocket. Yeah. Well, a villainous organization called the Glittering Crux Brigade appears and kidnaps Waco. Shout out to fans of Far Verona who are going to enjoy <laughs> Glittering Crux Brigade. Yes. Oh, God. We'll talk more about the Glittering Crux Brigade, which is a really awkward thing to say in episodes two and three. Yeah. But uh, Takuto tries to rescue her. They go down into their villainous lair where a bunch of creepy mannequins, uh, mech-sized creepy mannequins. Yeah, I mean, that was a nice visual. Are arranged in uh, a diorama around a casket, and uh, yeah, in, yeah. There's nothing that like screams villain more than you're hiding out in an abandoned gold mine yes. with your mm-hmm. creepy dioramas that are. I, I like to just I like to think of them as a cross between the uh, the like World Fair Expo statue in twenty first twentieth century boys, and the mannequins you, you artists use for posing. <laughs> So the robots in this show are called Cybodies, and they're each named after a letter from the Phoenician alphabet, and are summoned in every episode with the vo- with the word "approvoise," which is based on the French verb "approvoisier," which meaning uh, meaning to tame. And when they appear, every time time stops because, as we learn in the episode two or three, the robots cannot move in the real world; they can only move in some kind of galaxy um, subdimension that looks very that's very pretty, to be fair. And um, all of the organization members have masks that allow them to be present there. It was an interesting concept that the masks were like the ignition keys for these robots because yeah. they, like, they're all wearing their stupid masks. Take them off to pilot the robot. Yes. Um, but Takuto manages to just enter the uh, the subspace by himself because he has a, what they call a mark. And apparently he already has his own side body called Tauburn. And he summons it. And I have to say, I... I think my favorite thing in this show is the design of his robots, of Tauben's design, because mm-hmm. it just looks like, I think, Freya, you said Chevalier. Uh, you compared, were you making reference to Chevalier? Uh, I, I, I didn't. I said it looked like a ballroom dancer crossed with something from Rosa Visay. I think that, like, since you were mentioning people who collaborate with Ikuhara, yes. you didn't mention uh, Mamoru Nagano. Uh, who did a lot of the mech designs in shows in collaboration with him. Uh, and he's got a sort of a feminine style to his robot designs, which I think they might have been trying to ape. For my money, I was referring to them as Excel World Rejects. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I think Rosa Versailles, the comparison to Rosa Versailles, but Mecha works well for me because they wear big fancy hats with giant plumes and... Um, I like how it moved in the first episode. Yes, it sort of certainly. danced around. And mm. yeah, it moved like a ballroom dancer or a ballet dancer. In episode two and three, as we'll see, the mech actually kind of comes from the background. Going back to what you said of it, Igarashi's style, it breaks through the background, yeah. ripping itself into the frame. And um, Takuya as well goes through a magical girl style transformation where he gains essentially stage clothes and a little bit of yes. his hair change colored. His title is The Galactic Pretty Boy. Which is still probably one of the funniest things about the show. And then he just defeats the the, ma- the the bad guy of the episode, who's just kind of a boxer guy we met earlier on. But there really isn't much to him. And uh, once he defeats the guy, time resumes. Everybody gets kicked out of subspace, including Wako and uh, Takuto. 
Weirdly enough, they don't end back up in the um, in the villain's lair where they both had been captured earlier, but they end up uh, on like a stone hand somewhere out on the island, whereas the villains all end up back in the lair. Mm. And the guy who lost the fight earlier just he gets his essentially pilot's wings ripped off his um, ripped off his chest and expelled from Star Driver class, which is a big blow. As Freya said. This is a pretty decent first episode, all things considered. Like, it's not terrible. I like the dynamic between the three main leads, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. will lead into my disappointment with episodes two and three. Uh, yeah, I mean, do we want to, like, talk about the uh, main characters for a little bit? Yes. Sure. Takeda Tsunashi is voiced by Mamoru Miyano, contrary to what I wrote in my notes. Uh, and who is like super famous? Yeah, might be the most famous seiyu. Yeah, I mean he's Light Yagami from Death Note. He's Reinhardt from Legend of the Galactic Heroes. He's Okabe, <laughs> he's Okabe from Steins Gate. He's Kida from Durora. I don't know. I feel kind of like they've actually got like a really good good voice cast, and I almost feel bad for yes. them being in this show mm-hmm. yeah. because it's like let's let's get really good people to say really dumb shit, uh-huh. <laughs> which I get, which I guess is the uh, like the dream, right? <laughs> but yeah, but Takuto, he's just kind of the nice, excitable shonen protagonist. It feels like oh, so excitable. He's here to look for his missing dad. He was raised by his grandpa, who's taught him his values. And he wants to defend all the innocent. And he has the habit of spouting English lines occasionally when he's in trouble. He wasn't annoying, though, which normally no, I find no. that kind of character a bit irritating. But he, he was nice. He was nice and positive. And he wasn't a womanizing jerk like so many of them. <laughs> Our main heroine, Wako Akimaki, is... Um... She hasn't done much yet, but I yeah. like the personality. I mean, I think, to be honest, the voice was selling it, because mm-hmm. uh, sorry, Hayami is a good voice actress. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what we would say her most famous role is. I guess, um, like, the ones that, like, the one that I mentioned when we were watching it is she's Azuki Miho in Bakano, but that's, uh, not Bakano, uh, Bakuman, but that's definitely not her most famous role. Like, maybe, <laughs> I mean, probably, like, uh, like, Himawari Uzumaki from Boruto is her most famous role. <laughs> Uh, in terms of popularity, but like she's Saki in uh, you know the East, she's Kokoro and Darling in the Franks. She's on the Noki and Monogatari. Uh, uh, Darling in the Franks, another show where teenagers are really horny and next. Well, yeah. this show was better than Darling in the Franks. Presumably, not gonna lie, I didn't watch Darling in the. Franks. No, it was uh, based on episode one of both of them. This one was better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but she she's as I said one of the shrine maidens. We see her at one point throwing off her clothes and walking into the water to perform some kind of ritual. And the villainous organization's plan involves somehow stealing the power from four of the shrine maidens. So the use the phrasing they were using to like describe like how they were going to um use the shrine maidens was like and we will break the seal <laughs> and yeah. it's like oh, i wonder what that's a euphemism for it's <laughs> an extraordinarily clumsy euphemism that made me laugh yes that's i think that might be the best way to describe a lot of the show except the it made me laugh part you described it prior to the start as some well i mean maybe you didn't describe it someone else did as a magical girl mecha show, which I disagreed with, but mm. after watching it, I kind of, I kind of see where they're coming from. Uh, it's a monster of the week. He's a bishy. Uh, he's saying stupid stuff when he transforms, like dazzling the stage, galactic pretty boy Tauber, <laughs> and 
Like, we have the, like, pseudo-sexualized villain <laughs> that you often get in, like, magical girl shows. Mm-hmm. And you get, like, a really crappy mascot character in the yes. stupid fox yeah. thing. Uh, our third protagonist is Sugata Shindo, who's voiced by another, I think, fairly well-known voice actor. Jennifer yeah. Kiyama. Yeah, so, um... Korosanti in Assassination Classroom, Lelouch, Utah in Shinobu, King in Seven Deadly Sins. He can also do better than the show. <laughs> I mean, we've already encountered him once here on Ghost yes. Town, where it was yeah. Masayuki. He was kind of the most interesting one of the three, because like, he's uh, he's a rich boy, I guess. Mm-hmm. But he's very like uh, reserved and um, quiet, and he even gets told off for it in the second episode. Yeah. The only thing that I found a bit odd is that he has his two maids and yes. kind of anime maid outfits, which, fine, yes. that's one thing. <laughs> Well, one of them is wearing big bunny ears and one of them is wearing cat ears, so not that I reserved, mean, presumably. I don't, well, yeah. Obviously not. And we also see him do martial arts at one point. Yes. Um, I, I guess I'm glad that they're not like, I mean, he is engaged to Wacko, but he's like, eh, I yeah. also believe in real love and whatever. This is just my stupid family. Spoilers, this show will eventually be about a polyamorous relationship, which maybe I'll just skip to those episodes. Because I, I would, I would really like to see one of those that's done okay, and apparently this is, which uh, I'm skeptical of based on episodes two and three, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, we get in the second episode, like not a whole lot, but it's mostly just that we know that there's the um, the order, and they've got like split up into a bunch of different factions, like their science squad and yeah. the other ones, and it's like whoever defeats Takuto is going to become the main commander. Because uh, I don't think I mentioned this before, um, the connection to your side body is divided into three stages, and all of them are just either in stage one or two, whereas Takuto is in stage three, whereas they are, they all need the special casket to control their uh, side bodies, um, but Takuto is just kind of, he's piloting from inside the mech. Yeah, in episode two, there, as you said, there really isn't much. We start the episode off on kind of a weird, comfortable note. Takuto has taken his place in the classroom and, as usual, he's sitting in the protagonist's seat. I do think it's at least unusual to have the class rep next to the protagonist's seat. Just just to make sure he doesn't get up to any <laughs> silly business with the uh, green-haired girl at the back. Yes, who, who also happens to be one of the brigade leaders Ian mentioned a second yes. ago. The episode essentially starts with her kissing a random stranger through glass. And uh, she then tells us that she's a she's already a married woman, uh, which makes Takuto really uncomfortable. And I, I found this freak out to be kind of weird. Okay, she's married, but he's already met somebody who was engaged before. I, I found the degree of his uncomfortableness to be quite exaggerated. He was uncomfortable when she said that the guy... Oh, wait, no, was that in episode three? Uh, this 65-year-old Frenchman who... Yeah. Yes, okay, never mind. With the, with the, with the fantastic name... <laughs> like there are some really good names for stupid versions, um, like the sort of characters that barely appear, like uh, Leon Watanabe. That's the husband. Mm. Uh, George Honda. That was our first episode villain. Jaguar Yamasugata. And our and our seeming main villain, purple head guy, is called Head. <laughs> head though. Uh, but yeah, um, he's a bit uncomfortable with that. 
after that, we get introduced to the drama club, where which is made up of uh, Takuto, of Sugata, Wako, both of his maids. And Takuto kind of strips off his shirt to show them the big scar on his chest that the girls kind of leer at it for a while. Then we spend a weirdly long amount of time at a meeting of the villains, and it's just kind of not very interesting. Right, okay, here we go. Um, so, but, but just before we talk about the villains... Um... The sort of drama squad seems to be like part resistance, part what would be the harem in a visual novel. <laughs> because it's only uh, our two male protagonists and then a bunch of girls. You see, the drama club like setup is more interesting than, but like we barely saw it. Um, but yeah, the villains, you, you were going to say Freya. They feel very Utena. In a good way or a bad way? Well, they're all wearing silly outfits. Um... They're, they're 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 all anime dominatrices. Yes. yes, except for their leader, who's a guy. So a dominator, I guess. Sure. Also, don't have a lot of those in anime. Uh. No, no comment. <laughs> so, uh, like in Utena, they like sit around. They talk about their mysterious future plans. Uh, talk about how oh, this person couldn't become the one who can beat uh Takuto. And there's like dramatic music going on in the background, but in Utena they're like on top of a building, and there's a there's a there's a lot of clockwork in the background, and they're all facing away from each other, and it's all like framed in this really nice flat against a flat two D background, and they're like talking in such an enigmatic way. The music is organ music, uh, which just adds such a like great dramatic flair to it. And in here they're just kind of yammering on about nonsense. Their outfit, their outfits are all boring. Well, no, they're not boring. No, they are boring. <laughs> yeah, you, you you need to be of a specific. Uh... You need to be a horny teenager. No, no, no. There can, there's plenty of good dominatrix outfits, but these were not they. I was disappointed that the main guy, the like leader, wasn't also wearing some kind of more like sexual outfit, but whatever. Uh, yeah, like assless chaps and a gag or something. <laughs> something so, well, maybe not that, but um, whatever. Yeah, they were boring. They did make the uh, decision uh, to film it all from the below the table up and just have the female leaders of the different things just repeatedly cross and uncross their legs. Yes. This show, it's, it's going to be one of those shows where it's like trying to talk about female sexuality and it's going to try and be liberating but it's also trying to have its cake and eat it too. Like Bayonetta um, and so many other things fall into this trap where it's like, it's, I mean, it depends on the viewer, I guess. I would also say it betrays like the lack of interesting writing in this scene that they're like, well, we can't have them all just sitting around talking and discussing their evil plan because that will be boring. It would be so much better if they were like, if the character, if it was framed so that the characters were like having agency over their sexuality, instead we're just kind of the cameras are really leery. Yeah, we're we're being a voyeur, if anything. Yes, I also noticed that in episode one when um, Waka was doing CPR on Takuto, who washed up to the beach because yes. for some reason he decided to swim to the island, and she's doing CPR, and we just we intercut the CPR with just a random ass shot of her, and then we cut back to her doing CPR. But, I mean, at least it's nice that in a mix show the girls are allowed to be horny for once. <laughs> That's true. Uh, that brings us actually nicely to the next scene where Takuto is taking a bath 
in an onsen, which is pretty nice for a dorm, I have to say. And then the female dorm head, who also is, of course, one of the villains, um, comes in and tries to seduce him. Scarlet Kiss. Yes, but thankfully, um, other guys show up before she can do it. She just vanishes. Our episodic villain again. Well, I mean, technically, she's really the villain, but the person yeah. he fights is again kind of a, a nothing character. He has he has a motorcycle. That's his character. There's jokes about him being a virgin, and he compensates for that with like motorcycle rides and whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's where the pink text I mentioned comes up. Uh, just he's he's going he's driving his motor and going oh yes oh yes oh yes and then the text just throws up virgin question mark i i felt it was really out of place i didn't hate i didn't hate the decision to have the motorcycling guy's mech also just be a motorcycle when he puts his hand no out. that that was that i felt like that was a consistent thing that that yeah. worked yeah. for me thematically just like how in episode one the boxers guy the boxers yeah. uh, mech was kind of like a bull somebody who charges ahead a lot the fight is uh, it's kind of boring compared to episode one. Of yes. I mean, I'm usually not that invested in mech fights anyway, but, but in episode one, at least the protagonist's uh, mech moved in an interesting way. And it was the first time it happened, and the, like, the environment's really pretty. I wouldn't mind having actually a statue of that mech, like a, a figurine, because it looks just really cool. Of the start of Tauburn, not, not whatever was in this episode. For the third episode, um, like it's focused around... Her well, her name is Kanako Watanabe. She's the green-haired student that sits behind Takuto and who is married to the French businessman. Well, is he is he French? He lives in France. I assume he's French. Uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, AKA president. Like the whole setup for this episode is what I would call filler. <laughs> in that they're just saying like, well, Takuto really needs money to eat and do all those other things that humans require. So come to my luxury cruise ship and clean my pool. I wouldn't call it filler because they're establishing a lot of stuff about her character, which presumably will be important later. But... It's not that the episode is filler in the context of this show, but in other shows, this, oh, is, sure. the, this, this is a filler premise. Certainly, certainly. But yeah, um, they get on the boat, which is called the Thunder Girl, and we see that she... They essentially they're there to clean her pool, as Ina said, in which also there lives a pet crocodile, because of course there is. We see uh, two of her assistants, uh, whose name I can't remember, and I'm not sure they're important enough to be worth remembering. One of them is just sword guy, guy who does kendo, and blonde girl. Oh, the uh, blonde girl is called Simone. Is that yes. what she was called? All right. Oh, sorry. Aragon Simone. <laughs> uh. But yeah, we learned that the green that um, Kanako is like she's like a genius, um, like a stock market genius. She really doesn't play that big of a role in this episode, besides spurring um, Kendo guy to fight twice for her. Yeah, she sets up this fight and then gets bored and goes over to have a lie down. Yes, because apparently they're both not giving it their all, and they're. It's boring because they're not fighting to the death. And the uh, Kendo guy, of course, turns out to be this um, episode's enemy side body pilot. And they engage in another sword fight, just this time with giant mechs later on. They just kind of get... St- every every time the villains activate a new uh, side body, everybody just kind of conveniently gets summoned to the subspace. They, uh, there isn't really a need for them to kidnap anybody or try and get them into 
uh, abandoned places. I was thinking about how much more I would enjoy this if this were like a Power Rangers type show. And this is a thing that you see in those types of shows. Like, for example, VR troopers. Like, they don't fight in the real world. They fight in the VR world. Or uh, in, like, Akiba Ranger, they always go to, like, the abandoned, uh, like, alleyway. And that's where the fight happens. They defeat the episode's villain and... And then there's some texting between Wako and Takuto that's really not worth mentioning. Currently, Wako is just the damsel in distress with very little direct agency um, Mm -hmm. over any of the action. And that's how episode three kind of ends on a dull note. (laughs) Because it is, as episode two, just another Monster of the Week episode. I mean, they're like doing the classic thing of they're talking about mysteries in the background and they're setting up the more important villains for later. But yeah, the actual conflicts are very boring. <laughs> and they fo- they're focusing on characters that are just, just not very interesting. The show probably would have been stronger if the first episode had been a two-parter where they'd just taken their time, more time with each thing. And yeah. then the third episode would could have been fine as a monster of the week episode because we've done our plot setup. Now we have now we establish the status quo, and then we also, can deviate from that later on. Utena has four, uh, well, five, I guess, opposing swords. People. This show has like nine different members of the villainous organization who are all going to get dealt with. I think that it's going to like transition at some point. Yeah, definitely, yes. definitely. Just I just want to I just want to skip to the transition to be honest. Yeah, this is this is true of like a lot of monster of the week type shows. It's just like they, they have to stop being monster of the week, otherwise they're never going to like wrap it up. But like um, Princess Tutor is a monster of the week show for a bit, but those episodes are good and they set up lots of stuff yes, for later and yes. they set it up well. And same for Utena. Even Evangelion's like that. <laughs> yeah, it's You've got to like feel in these shows that even though like they're just this week's fight, that there is some value to it. Which like this is often like the, the problem with like Super Sentai shows. It's just like yeah, this is a cool fight, but like it doesn't matter. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just it's just gonna re- it's, we're gonna reset the universe at the end of the episode anyway. <laughs> yeah, the characters won't have uh, learned anything or changed. Not that they have to do that every episode. If that's going to be your draw, you need to make the battles really exciting if they're not going to resolve any sort of interesting character thing. Yeah. Um, the, eps- the the battles, in, I mean, the battle in episode two actually looked quite nice as well, I thought. Three. because there, No, no, two. The the uh, motorcycle one, because there was a okay. lot of movement there as yeah. well. And the colossal, the colossal, there was a lot of good color work and um, animation. But... Yeah, I think I think you've said it best when you said there's just no weight behind them. Uh, moving on from the battles, I'd say we can talk about animation, directing, and color. Um, so animation was pretty good. Yeah, there were some really nice scenes in the fight yeah. scenes. It's just a shame they don't have any narrative weight behind them. It's not that they don't have narrative weight, it's just that the narrative weight isn't felt. Yeah. They didn't make the stuff it was focusing on interesting. Like green hair would be much more uh, a much more interesting character if she was able to own her sexuality more, instead of all these weird voyeuristic lingering shots. Although she did seem to be quite aware of what her marriage is, um, contextually. Yes, which is uh, interest. Uh, that's an interesting choice to make. I don't really have that much to say about the editing. Besides, in uh, episode two, I think when the villains were discussing their evil plot. 
there was kind of some very quick jump cutting between the three, between all the people sitting there talking, which I didn't think worked that well. There was a that and a lot of slow panning across the screen for that. Mm. I think I like the directing in episode one mostly. Well, I like how he plays around with backgrounds, I guess. Yeah. Like there was that one really quick cut to blue hair where the the light shining through the windows was made really intense and you were looking up at him. That was good. And then there yeah. was another one where um okay, stop calling him blue hair. Uh Sugatero and Takuto are like I think they're in a corridor or something, and there's uh it's sun it's uh, the sun setting outside and the orange is like it's framing them really well. Uh, there's another one where the background is like a deep blue and they're like fading into it. Yeah, it was a lot of uh, nice background. I think he's maybe better suited to uh, comedy, which is funny because I say that. And then my favorite episode of Oran, which is one that he directed himself as the Alice in Wonderland one, which is not, which is more serious than the rest. And there's also the fact that like the comedy in this didn't really land for me, maybe just yeah. because it's 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 went for uh, the lol teenage uh, sexuality route. Yeah. Uh, which I'm too old for that shit. <laughs> it felt weirdly puerile. A lot of those jokes felt, um, maybe not weirdly, but they felt puerile. Do you have any facts for us? Uh, I certainly do. Each of the uh, Phoenician letters and marks that the uh, Sabalis has also relate to tarot cards. For example, Takuto is the fool. Um, the villain from the first episode is the magician. Kanako is the high priestess. And uh, so all uh, they all have one. The much more interesting fact is there is a collectible card game in Japan that I'd not heard of before called Crusades. That's essentially uh, a big crossover of a bunch of Gundam. Essentially, it had, there's Gundam Crusade, which is just a lot of Gundam shows combined into a card game. There's Macros Crusade, which is all the macro shows in a card game. And then mm -hmm. there's Bones Crusade, which is a whole bunch of Bones show combined into a, t into a card game, including FMA, uh, My Hero Academia, and Star Driver. Which, for an anime that had a single season to be part of an actual card game, I find quite interesting. In terms of things that uh, people who've rated it completed, it's the second most completed show we've watched on this uh, podcast. Oh, interesting. Granted, the, uh, it's only 3,000 higher than the next highest one, and the highest one, which is Beck, has like 119, which is like 70,000 more. So. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that there's like a comparison in just like terms of like demographic like what's the, what's the no. word I'm looking for like uh, <laughs> impact I'm not, I'm, not make, I'm not making a comparison yeah, yeah. I'm just mm -hmm. okay so with that I think it's time to render our verdict Freya how many southern crosses would you give this show I give episode one three but since it's three or three and a half since it's three episodes it's it's two okay i will maybe i will i will read off on what people think of the the polyamorous stuff later maybe just uh skip to that see how it's done all right denny how many southern crosses would you give it as this was my show i have to say well we're not supposed to bring in too many expectations for each of the things we put up i 
I had seen some things and I'd read some things and it just felt like such a me show. It's we did we never even mentioned the girl in the golden cage that sings a music number about the world being monochrome, but it wasn't really that important in the first three episodes. It wasn't. And I, I, I thought like the for sure she was singing the ending of the show, but like their ending wasn't no. as good as I no. thought that like I like it sounded it felt like the ending of an anime. Uh but yeah. So like I because I like musicals, I like giant manx, I like stupid anime and this felt like the kind of stupid i'd enjoy but after i mean everything you've just said as you've heard for yourself i was it's just not that interesting nothing really grabbed me beyond the main the main uh, character's mech design so i think i'd also give these first three episodes a two and what did you think about it ian as i said when we were watching it if this were just me watching it by myself i wouldn't have finished the first episode i would have stopped maybe two-thirds of the way in it, thrown it in the dropped pile, and never thought of this show again. <laughs> uh, and since episode one, we've con- we've argued is the best episode. The whole show goes in the bin. <laughs> um, like, I'm not quite sure if I'm a... I like, I'm, I want to give it a one. That feels mm-hmm. a bit harsh, but it's your right. Yeah. Yeah. Ma- maybe one and a half. Okay. Is where I, is where I feel that I'm going to stick, because like I zoned out multiple times during this watching. So our average is one point eight three. Well, we can always hope that next week we'll have a better show. And uh, so, what will we be watching next week, Freya? Let's find out. I'll pretend I'm rolling a d twenty three, which is definitely a real dice. <laughs> I mean, you can get a d twenty four, so you would just re-roll once. <laughs> Or 24s, I guess. We will be watching Wolf's Reign. Ooh. I don't know why that sounded like that. A show that was very popular in the early 2000s. Yeah, I can mark this one off my off my to watch then. All right. I guess, yeah, that's the end. <laughs> that was the worst ending to a show. Yeah. Ever. 